0: Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market Site, overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's lineup is Carter Worth, Tim Seymour, Jeff Mills from PNC, and Dan Nathan. Tonight, Crude getting crushed, sinking another 5% today, now down 16% this month. Is a commodity in for a crude summer? We've got the details. Plus, Apple rotting. The stock oh. having its worst month since November, sinking deeper into a bear market. But there might be some signs of life growing in the charts. We'll explain. We start off with the market sell-off. The Dow dropping 300 points, having its worst month of the year. As President Trump announces a round of unexpected tariffs on Mexico. As trade talks stall out, there's a fresh slate of trade victims. Everything from autos to retailers to restaurants to railroads all taking hits today as Wall Street tries to digest just how big this impact could be. So now we are fighting a trade front, trade war with China on on two fronts, China and Mexico. What does the market look like with no end in sight for these trade battles, Tim?
1: Hi, Mel. Well, you know, it it also tells you that tariffs are now being used really for any circumstances. So this isn't about protecting intellectual property. This isn't about control of, of technology. This is about politics. This is about people coming across the border. This is about elections. Uh, and, and, and it's about what it's done on a two-day move, To Look at bond yields. You went from 228 to 211 to 212-ish roughly on the 10-year. Uh, look at gold's two-day move of almost 1.5%. Look at transports down 3%. Pick your uh, cyclical leading asset class, and you had a two-day move that was quite extraordinary. And the irony, of course, is that you've actually seen uh, emerging markets actually have a better day over the last couple of days. So, um, you know, whether it's unreliable entities, which is now a new term we're, we're learning to define in the context of what China will now be doing to protect their Industries. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. We had PMIs last night in China that said actually they are getting worse. You had them throughout Asia, which wasn't better. So um, look, the only good thing right now is that I think sentiment is about as bearish as we've seen in a long time. And in fact, I I actually think things are very oversold in the short run. I think bond yields are way, way oversold in the short run. And that's the best news.
0: What is the message to to corporations, Jeff? I mean, if the president is willing to use tariffs as a tool for any sort of battle, not just an actual trade battle, You can't plan for that.
2: No, and I think that's part of the problem. That's why we're not necessarily willing to step in front of companies that are going to be right in the line of fire. And the the idea is how much more downside do we have? I mean, we're looking to the credit markets. You've seen investment grade blow out about 125 basis points. Actually, the overall funding cost of investment grade has actually come down. A lot of that is because of treasury yields having fallen. There are potentially risks in that, which we can talk about later. High yield may be a little bit more worrisome. We've seen triple C. So the triple C trance, the lower grade in high yield, yield, actually not confirm the rally in high yield that we saw the rest of the year, high yield now following that down lower. So I think that in combination are things that we're worried about, we're watching. I think you can play this through active management now, though. If you look at the Russell 1000, for example, about 30% of names are about 5% of the highs, and then about 30% of the names are more than 15% off the highs. So in that sense, the, the winners and the losers are now spreading out. So if you have a good fund that you like, um, I would think about that as far as execution goes.
3: I mean, Tim, you mentioned something, I mean two things. Obviously, sentiment can get extreme. I don't know if it's that extreme, but you did use the word oversold, and there is a case to be made for that. If you were just to consider the following, if over the past decade, since the 09 low, The S&P itself is now down for a fourth week in a row. That's only happened one other time in the past 10 years. And for the Dow being down six, if you go back to 1896, that's a fairly rare circumstance. It's only happened about 40 times on a six-week rolling basis. And 75% of the time in the seventh week, it's up. So does that... Make you bullish? No. It just means that you can be oversold and you get a relief rally because those who were properly short start to cover or deep value guy who's thinking out eight years does some buying. And so while you can get a bounce, it doesn't change the fact that we've had a great bull market and there are a lot of issues that are front and center.
4: Yeah, and I would just mention this. You know, we talk about the S&P 500 a lot. It did make a new high. Now we're at almost 7% off those highs. I think it's been really orderly. I think it's important to recognize the fact that the Russell 2000 small caps did not confirm that high when the S&P was at new highs just a month ago. And then if you look at the MSCI World Index, it never made a new high, right? So that, The
3: transports, the banking, right. all of
4: so, it. So I guess what I would say is, is that over the last month, while there's been a lot of kind of nasty headlines that we could kind of, like, extrapolate to, yeah, at this stage of the game and where everything is that another round of tariffs on another front doesn't seem like a great idea, especially when you consider how fragile global growth is right now and how we are actually kind of the best, uh, what do they call it, the best house in a bad neighborhood sort of situation. i just tell you that it feels like we could easily go down another 3%, 4 5% in the next few weeks. And things wouldn't, you know, I know that the indicators that you're looking at are saying really oversold. I don't think investors have kind of panicked yet relative to the news, especially. And if the VIX would suggest well,
3: there's no panic. Right, It's very muted.
1: Yeah, Nothing. but, but I, I still think you have a case where look, the, the semis are more oversold than they were on December 24th. Again, you've had, uh, this, is a, this is a three sigma move in the bond market. what You know what that means, standard deviations. That means the probability of this happening um, is minuscule. Um, so I, I think you have a place here where, first of all, people have this sense that the U.S. and the China are so dug in in terms of policy that there's no end in sight. We talked about the dynamics. Look, the good and the bad news about, you know, lobbying Mexican tariffs over, you know, a political um really you know basically an issue for 2020 um, is that as soon as it you know the administration feels as if they've actually satisfied the constituency on this they can turn on a dime and markets can rally and I almost get the sense that that's really where markets are the problem with that is that we've seen for the last 15 months is, is that the fear of trade and the uncertainty for CEOs means they truly do reel it in they truly do pull back on capex they truly do uh, not invest in their business enterprise spend uh, and then you layer in very real uh, dysfunction In the tech world, which says, actually, um, I'm not really sure how we're going to solve unreliable entities as it relates to national champion companies in other parts of the world. By the way, it's not just US and China. I mean, India, you listen to Modi when he got elected. I mean, they're they're basically going to be protecting technology companies in India. Mm -hmm. You don't think Europe's going to do it for the few companies that they have? I think it's a problem.
0: And then you layer in just the impact of the tariffs and whether or not companies have to absorb that cost to not pass on to the consumer. You mentioned something earlier, Jeff, and that is you don't feel uh, like you need to step in the way of companies that have direct exposure. At this point, it's a, lot, it's a lot of companies in the S&P 500 have direct exposure.
2: Yeah, it is. I think the one silver lining when you're talking about a two-front trade war is that the Mexico front, they Mexico may not be in a position to withstand this type of trade war for a long time. Uh, I, I went and did some research, 61% of their local bond market is held by foreign investors. So if you start to see foreign investors come in and dump those bonds, if this drags on for a really long time, That pressures the peso, and they also have a ton of dollar-denominated debt, too. So their currency goes down. It becomes harder to service that debt. And, oh, by the way, the cherry on top is that there's record-long positioning in the futures market in the peso. So you start to get pressure on the peso. That unwinds. It creates this spiral. I don't think that's something Mexico wants right now. But, Jeff, that all sounds
4: really smart and really good, except for the fact that what happened here, we got blindsided by a tweet by a president who actually really doesn't understand trade mechanics, and he basically put some artificial Deadlines, June 10th, 5% tariff. Okay, Mexico is our largest trading partner. We spent a lot of time talking about China, but we actually have, you know, there's this surplus situation which the Chinese don't have. So the Mexicans can retaliate, and we've already negotiated this NAFTA 2.0, and these tariffs that he's threatening would actually be illegal under NAFTA 2.0. That's why we have NAFTA in the first place. So to me, there's no measurement of how—so so he's basically threatening these tariffs because of what's going on at the border. How do we measure that things have gotten better, and how, do, how does anybody know how to kind of factor in what these tariffs will do? Well, some are saying that gives off.
0: the president cover to not ratchet up tariffs, to not put on tariffs in the first place because there aren't specific benchmarks. That's so he fine. can say at any point in time, and, you know, I'm that's, not going to do it, or it's better, so I'm not going to ratchet the
4: But, the, but the, doesn't he start losing credibility is the, the point I would make as you look around the world as we're trying to negotiate this on multiple fronts.
1: Well, I, I tweeted something yesterday. I said, you know, it was even before this Mexican tariff announcement was that uh, Mexico is basically on the verge of a recession. They, they printed minus 0.2 GDP in the first quarter, and, and the leading indicators indicate they were going there anyway. And I referred to Mexico as southern Texas, not pejoratively, but, but the reality is that if you think about shipping companies, if you think about U.S. companies that actually are Located in Mexico, uh, and there's an enormous uh, there's there's an enormous loss to U.S. companies. Somebody then tweeted back. By the way, we consider it Northern Mexico. Touche. Um, the bottom line here is this is a case where Mexico is almost 700 billion dollars of foreign trade a year, and this is it, on some level. If there was actually rationality to this, it would be it would be concerning. Just quickly, yes. Your GM, what do you do with that? I, I don't think you do anything. And and, you it, don't and add it gets well. It, it, Look, it gets back to, no, uh, I don't think you have to add anything right now because I, I do think there's uncertainty. But during difficult times, folks, it's it's most important to really know what you own. And a lot of people tend to, and I'll say this, I say it a lot of times too, they tend to cut their flowers and they keep their weeds. They basically sell companies that haven't gone down um, uh, They sell companies that haven't gone down that much because they think, oh, wow, I can still actually, you know, make a couple bucks in this one. And they actually don't take profits or, excuse me, they don't cut losses on companies that have done poor, uh, poorly. GM, to me, we've had recent numbers. They've reaffirmed numbers. They're basically going to make about 630 a share. This, to me, is something that I can own through a difficult period.
0: All right. Well, the two-front trade war has investors looking to to the Fed for some reprieve. Fed funds probabilities now pricing in an over 70% chance of a rate cut in September. Barclays and JP Morgan saying today that they are both now expecting two rate cuts this year. Actually, I think Barclays said 75 basis points uh, total. So Jeff Mills has a chart here that suggests a rate cut might not be the savior that stocks are looking for. This is our chart of the day. Jeff, why don't you explain it?
2: So, every piece of fixed income research I saw in my inbox today said the probability of a Fed rate cut has gone up. And I think there is a camp of investors that believes that the Fed can step in, even if things get worse, they will cut rates and things will get better. And I think on the surface, that probably makes some sense. You saw interest rates go from 275 on the 10 year down to wherever we close today, 213 or 214. And stocks are up about 20% since Christmas Eve, maybe a little bit less now. But on the surface, that seems good. Low rates, that's good for stocks. But if you look at this chart and you look at the individual trading days. Um, really what you see is on the up days for rates is when the S&P has actually made most of its gains. On the down days for rates, the market's actually down about 8%. So it's not all that clear that the Fed stepping in is actually going to be the savior that everybody thinks. So I think it it definitely calls that thesis into question. Maybe bad news is bad news now. We've been conditioned for bad news being good news because of lower rates. I'm not sure that's the case anymore. the
3: Fed was stepping in all the way down in 08. I mean, mean, stepping in, that's going to scare the market. Right.
0: I mean, at this point, now there's more confirming data around the world that maybe the economy is in fact soft.
1: So, so if you think about the time lag between the last Fed hike and the first Fed cut, um, it's not as long as a lot of people think, and, and it looks like the market is telling us um, where the Fed is going to have to be, whether the Fed is going to deny this or not. Ultimately, if the Fed is cutting twice in 2019, it, it's, it's not good at all for markets. And even though um, some people thought the Fed was overly onerous in terms of where they were in the fourth quarter. Uh, this is a sign that the economy is weakening much more aggressively than they were telling us even three months ago.
4: Yeah, I'll just make one last point. I think all of us, uh, other than our friend Jeff here, is a little too young, remember what it was like in 01 when the Fed started cutting rates in a surprise fashion. And then again, maybe in 08, you might remember that. Yeah, um, yeah, but, you know, it was the sort one? of thing that causes a near-term short squeeze. But at that point, these were desperate actions in crises. And the fact of the matter is we don't have a crisis right now. What's the crisis? You know, the stock market is at an all-time high. Larry Kudlow goes on TV just last month saying the market, the economy is killing it. Where's the crisis? So if they start cutting rates off of Fed funds at 2.4% or something like that. But they're in preventive mode. I mean, well, but then, mean the, a so so where do we go, Mel? Because we, with inflation things? at 2%, we basically have we're 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 at zero. So then we're going to get we're going to start getting creative at we just had 3% GDP growth in Q1. We're going we're going to start panicking on uh, quantitative easing
1: on things that we've never seen before when there's no financial crisis? No, but I so Last quick what word, you just quick said though, is important for people on a Friday where it was another awful week. I I don't think there should be a panic out there because the economy is not going straight over the cliff. Equities are priced near perfection still, and that's really where the equity market is making some kind of an adjustment.
0: So ahead, talk about low energy. Oil closing out an ugly month, crashing 5% today, and the commodity could be in for a crude summer. We've got the details. Plus, Apple falling deeper into a bear market, having its worst month since November. But there is one sign the stock may have just bottomed out. We'll explain. And later, the hemp hype gets put to the test as the FDA holds its first public meeting on the cannabis craze. We'll tell you what that could mean for the pot stocks. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. back to Fast Money. It is looking like the start of a cruel, cruel summer for crude. The commodity taking 16 percent this month, crashing to its lowest level since February. The crude crush also taking energy stocks with it. The sector posting its eighth straight week of losses, making this the worst weekly losing streak ever as 90 percent of the names in the group are in a correction or worse. How low can crude go? I'll go to Carter on this. What does the chart tell you?
3: Well, <laughs> I mean, look, uh, volatility like this, and you had a reverse, right, gold doing one thing today, it was true risk of uh, crude doing the other. I guess the, the bigger issue really is about the energy stocks in the sense that it's becoming such a small percentage of growth managers' benchmarks that it's, you're getting to the point where it's, it's sort of self-fulfilling, there's auto-correlation, they're stopping to take meetings with energy analysts, they're stopping research on the subject, because it's it's not a important enough part of their, of their portfolio to even bother spending time on. And then that I- is either the sign of a great low, uh, which many people argue, or it's a sign of a structural change that is permanent.
0: But your call is? I
3: think there's no reason to be buying energy stocks.
1: Okay. Well, you know, by the way, Bananarama, we, we let in. Great song. And yeah. I believe that clip was from The Karate, Karate Kid. Kid. Yeah, yeah where uh, Billy Zabka... Speaking of cruel, it. I mean, yeah, he swept, the, he swept the knee. And if, if you are a portfolio manager, you could make an argument that someone's sweeping the leg on you when it comes to investing in energy stocks because it's been a place to be a widowmaker. I, I would say I think energy companies are being run for equity investors. In other words, I think they're doing things differently. They're not growing at all costs. The balance sheets are better. Having said that, if you've got a stronger dollar environment and you've got an environment where people are questioning demand, I think that trumps these supply disruptions. Remember in the past when supply disruptions abounded and nobody cared and oil went to fresh lows? So um, I would be cautious on energy. There
0: is some small exposure as well to some companies who actually buy crude from Mexico. It increases the price of the Mayan crude and cuts into their profit margin greatly. So a couple of names like Royal Dutch Shell, Chevron has some exposure there.
2: Yeah, there are are certainly some individual problems. But I think back to just the volatility of the commodity, just because it's been so volatile over the last couple of years, we made the mistake last year and we chased energy stocks because we saw this decoupling between the price of the commodity and what stocks were doing. But I think investors are so programmed now to expect oil to fall back down that they don't push the equities up. So even if we were to see a rebound in crude here and the prices of energy stocks were to stay low, I would not expect some sort of catch-up trade. We would stay away for now.
0: All right. For more on energy, go to ETFedge.cnbc.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. Here's what else is coming up on Fast.
3: It's Apple's fall from grace, having its worst month since November. And if you've lost money, we'll tell you how to get some of it back, no matter where the stock goes next. Plus,
0: I feel pretty, oh so pretty.
3: The CBD boom has taken the beauty industry by storm. But is all the hemp hype just in the eye of the consumer? We've got those details. There's much more Fast Money right after this break.
0: It's alarming how charming I feel. Welcome back to Fast Money. Socks cooling off today, but the case for CBD is heating up with the FDA holding its first ever meeting, hearing, I should say, on the potential medicinal benefits of the hemp hype there are a lot of questions out there still that they're uh, asking in terms of the the benefits, the science, et cetera. They should be.
1: And and there's a lot of false claims. There's a lot of snake oil. There's a lot of people that that need CBD oil regulated or tinctures or whatever it's going to be, whatever form it takes. Just because it's been passed as legal through the hemp bill does not mean that the products and the products that go in food should be unregulated. I think if you ask everybody in the industry, they would argue the same thing. Today's hearing was about 140 people parading up in front of the FDA and actually giving views, giving testimony, giving insight, probably claiming they want the same thing. Uh, I think this is a process that's going to take some time and, and frankly i wouldn't hold your breath on a, de- a decisive outcome today or tomorrow
0: let's get to adidi roy who had been monitoring the hearing adidi what was the meeting like
5: Well, it was a spirited meeting with FDA officials grilling CBD manufacturers and proponents on whether the ingredient actually provides the benefits that advocates say it does. This while those who testified, which included company executives, advocates and researchers, asked the FDA to set up a regulatory framework for CBD to be used in food products, beverages and supplements. FDA panelists asked them for data to help develop dosage requirements and learn more about the effects of CBD on users and even pets. Meantime, one executive at Wildflower, which sells CBD soaps, was questioned by an FDA panelist about the medical benefits of his products.
2: We've had a lot of interactions with customers that uh, it's it's simply more effective as a beauty product uh, when we include that ingredient. And when you say effective, what, what do you mean by that? Uh, it, it delivers a more uh, a higher sense of, you know, of, of, uh, of. Personal uh, attraction, you know, increasing. It, it's it's more desirable to the product, not not through clinical uh, definitions, but you know, through a consumer-based.
5: And on another note, the Illinois House passed recreational cannabis legalization today following Senate approval of the bill earlier this week. The bill now goes to the governor, who is expected to sign. That would make Illinois the 11th U.S. state to legalize recreational cannabis. Melissa, back to you.
0: Aditi, thank you. Aditi Roy, uh, joining us from the New York Stock Exchange today. I I think that last soundbite speaks volumes uh, in terms of the, the claim, or not even the claims, but just how do you measure any sort of benefit? of these products.
4: Tim just mentioned there's a lot of people selling snake oil, yes. a lot of this stuff is oil. And to me... It Although you could probably use some CBD soap. No, I Just I mean, Or listen. just soap. Just, you know, just soap. It, it just seems right, like it, right. it's being infused in a lot of products, and I think what he was trying to say is it's making our products more attractive because people think right. that there's some sort of medicinal sort of situation. I think the FDA is going to find that they don't, for the most part, have it. There's no way to put your finger on it. Um, listen, at the end of the day, you've been saying this for, it seems like, years now. It's it's THC for medicinal purposes and then recreational. Isn't that the big thing, not the CBD? CBD feels like vaporware to me.
1: Well, to I, 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 look, I'm invested in some companies that actually have some CBD application that to something like a topical, which could have lidocaine in it. You can talk about the impact of lidocaine because that's approved by the FDA. You could say it has CBD oil in it. So you basically, if you're looking for some kind of skin anesthetic plus that's what people are doing. But yes, when you talk about medical and you talk about the pharma and you talk about the science, this is where companies are getting multiples. I mean, this is where you actually see people willing to pay for companies. Um, I do think, however, because of the capital market structure and the legal status of, of on the federal level, you are seeing CBD companies come to market. There's going to be a handful that come through in the next few months right. on NASDAQ, on New York Stock Exchange, that are going to be big
0: deals and they're going to be well supported. And there are going to be consumer more consumer product companies going after these sorts of companies sure. or these sorts of businesses in order to get into this latest buzzword. Carter, you don't use CBD. Right.
3: No, I don't have do you patches. I definitely have soap. <laughs> okay, good. Soap on a rope, the old-fashioned kind. Whatever. <laughs> All right. On that note. So, uh, but meanwhile, what do you think of the pot stocks in general?
1: I tell you what, You know, as we talk about markets, it's a great markets discussion because the risk factor in this sector is such, and, and companies that need to raise a lot of capital in the next few months because it's that time again, I think it's a, very, it's a very dangerous time in the sector right now to be running after pot stocks because they're down.
0: All right, time for the final trade. Carter Braxton Worth.
3: Well, of course, it's finally come to life. Gold, oh, big week, and uh, I would think it's just the beginning. Tim Seymour. You
1: know, that's interesting. I'm going to take the other side of this, not because Carter's wrong and gold typically does rally, but we've also seen gold fail around 1320, 1330, multiple times during periods like this. I actually think you get faked out by gold. I'd be a seller of gold here.
0: Jeff Mills.
2: Booz Allen Hamilton. Take a look at it. It's tech exposure that's not necessarily exposed to what's going on in China. Most of its revenues come from the U.S. government. It's really a play on our national defense strategy, more money going into cybersecurity investment. It's a little bit expensive here, so you might get it at a lower price, but we still like it.
0: Dan.
4: Uh, Apple, stick around to options action. And after this, we're going to kind of give you a trade structure on how to play from the long side over the next few months. Very exposed to China, but here's a way that you can give you a little wiggle room.
0: Nice season. Thank a nice you, Jeff Mills yeah. of PNC, for joining us. That does it for us on Fast. Uh, don't move. Options Actions up next.